0: This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spend half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and beer professional. This is what gave birth to Mountain Sea Media the stories that impact our lives and give meaning to our business. Stories share good experiences in the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 55 of Good Beer Matters. What those
1: styles do is they can provide kind of a basis for people to determine what they like and what they don't like. And for people in the industry like that, actually a better understanding of categories rather than individual styles might actually be more important. But it was literally like drinking a glass full of freshly smoked ham. It was absolutely beautiful.
0: The Beer Judge Certification Program, or BJCP, works to categorize the world's beer styles so that homebrewers can submit their brews for feedback on how well they hit the targets. These same beer style guidelines have become widely accepted as the go-to style authority because they're specific and also give us a way to communicate about beer. However, defining these styles is quite a challenge due to natural variation within style. Even more, some styles pose another challenge because they are really similar and are differentiated only by geography, culture, or slight nuance. My next guest returns to the Good Beer Matters Podcast from Episode 6, where he taught us how to be a better taster. In this episode, we discuss what we can learn from the BJCP and how to discern the difference between very similar styles. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 55 of Good Beer Matters once again with master beer judge, Randy Scorby. Randy, thank you very much for coming back onto the podcast. Um, you were, I believe you were episode six, if I'm uh, not mistaken, but you, uh, back then you talked about how to taste beer. Um, I really wanted to have you come back on and talk to us about the style of beer, the elements of style, so to speak. But um, um welcome back to the show
1: happy to be here and happy to talk about beer
0: absolutely um uh will you just remind everyone a little bit about your background in beer and why we're going to listen to you talk about styles today yeah well actually
1: we'll start clear back at the beginning and um i've been a beer geek for a lot of years i won't tell you what age i first started enjoying beer but uh I started out pretty much like everybody else with the fizzy yellow beer, but it didn't take long to get bored with that and start working my way up, at least what I consider to be up. Uh, I remember one of my first beers that I had that actually was pretty decent at the time was uh, uh, Henry's Blue Boar. I don't know if you remember that one or not. There may be a few people out there that do. But it was it was kind of the, uh, the step up from that fizzy yellow beer. But since then, it's just been... No holds barred as far as try, join, or, uh, enjoying beer styles, different beers, things like that. Uh, I've been a home brewer since 2006. Uh, in 2007, I got certified to judge beer through the Beer Judge Certification Program. Currently hold the rank of Grand Master 4 and also Mead and Cider Certified. And uh, 2011, I uh, won the National Home Brewer of the Year. Uh, currently teach classes at our local community college on uh, beer styles and uh, uh, sensory analysis and also do beer reviews for a beer magazine out there.
0: And which beer magazine is that? Can you tell us?
1: Yeah, Beer Connoisseur.
0: Beer Connoisseur. I, I get that. I love that magazine. Um, uh, yeah. Th- uh, you were—you've uh, been instrumental in my beer education, uh, to put it mildly. Um, you were—I was very fortunate. Um, a lot of people who want to learn about the styles, who want to become a BJCP judge um a lot of people have to kind of figure that out on their own and and so hopefully at the end of this i want to have you kind of talk about where people can go to learn more on their own but i was fortunate a few of us were fortunate where we had you um living in the same you know area let alone town that we were in who was actually teaching um you know classes to become a bjcp judge and this was back in uh, 2016 so Uh, This we're getting close to four years of uh, judging beer and learning uh, to be a beer nerd like you and it's it's been great but uh, so you've been, uh, absolutely instrumental in teaching the style, uh, teaching the styles and teaching about beer, not only to me, but a lot of other people that we associate with. Um, oftentimes when we go to a, a beer competition, uh, people lean on you to kind of introduce the styles and kind of lead the group. Um, so you have, you definitely have a, a bit of clout in, in the industry, especially locally. Um... But, of course, last year you and I got together, um, not quite once a week, but close to, and we went through the styles beginning at uh, 1A with American Light loggers, all the way to, um, uh, we at least discussed a lot of the historical styles that we uh, couldn't get our hands on, but we went through each and every style, -style, sub-style, to really dive into what the styles are, and more importantly, uh, the differences. And and I'm deeply, immensely grateful that uh, that I was able to do that face-to-face with you. Um, not everyone is quite as lucky, but um, so hopefully we can talk about some of those differences and nuances and talk about how people can, can learn this knowledge that you have to share um, toward the end. But thank you.
1: Absolutely, I just there's nothing I hate more than talking about beer.
0: I know, I know it it is it is kind of a nuisance sometimes, but you know someone's got to do it. Exactly, um, but uh, but I think a point of distinction is not only are you a beer judge, but you're a master beer judge, and you're a level four master beer judge. So that's that's to say, if you were a black belt in uh, beer karate, you would be a fourth degree at this point. Um, uh, but you also have your your mead and your cider distinctions as well. So you are. Um, you are quite the master of, of, of beer and alcohol, right?
1: There, there are some days I think I am, but
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I I know that feeling. We're like man. <laughs> I wish I knew more that there's always exactly to learn.
1: you never stop learning
0: never stop learning um it is an endless thing in fact um uh previous guest on uh here on the show was uh rich Higgins a master cicerone um who i mean the the amount of knowledge that he has forgotten is vastly more than I have learned and uh and but but he still admits that he's always learning about stuff. Um, but to really kick this off and talk about beer styles, wh- what is the purpose of beer styles? Why, why do they exist, and how are they valuable to us?
1: Well, let's, let's kind of go back a little bit and talk about why beer styles or the beer style guidelines were originally written. And quite honestly, they were written for home brewers and commercial brewers to enter competitions. It provided some guidelines as to the flavor and aroma, the overall characteristics, everything from hops, malt, yeast, water, everything in those style guidelines help home brewers and commercial brewers uh, know where to enter their beer. Now, for the average person that's really not interested in brewing or entering their beer, what those styles do is they can provide kind of a basis for people to determine what they like and what they don't like and what they do and don't like about certain beers so there's there's really d- several different levels as to why beer styles exist
0: so i uh, from from my knowledge and experience I uh, it uh, i discovered um that really carving out the styles cause, you know when i got involved i was a, a home brewer and just wanted to do my own thing i didn't want to follow styles and i had people you know uh, professional brewers say no you need to follow the styles um i found when i when I reluctantly got into um uh, beer judging and studying the styles, I realized the styles are not um not a way to dictate what a beer should be in reality beer styles is just a way to communicate what what beer is and the different forms of beer and to me it's a, it's akin of you know people talking about wine they talk about the varietal um uh you know there's a big difference between a um a, a pinot noir versus chardonnay and 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 if we don't have that form of communication and a basic understanding of chardonnay is a white grape and pinot noir is a red grape um then you know all all we really know is I heard wine and that's all I know. Uh, I I think there's a value in just being able to discuss beer in a little bit more specific terms.
1: Oh I, I couldn't agree more. Um, And and what you'll find with most of these uh, beer styles is there's pretty wide, wide range of where characteristics can land. So let's say you pick up a bottle of Duval and you have another Belgian Golden Strong that you think isn't quite right because it doesn't taste exactly like Duval. Well, there are a lot of different interpretations out there of different beer styles. They're all valid and they're all good. You just may like one more than the other. Well, but they are just simply a set of guidelines for people to look at
0: well and you brought up just a, a perfect example the perfect time um, yesterday I had a Belgian golden strong from uh, Poseidon Brewing down in Ventura um, and I and I was and in kind of preparation for this I was kind of thinking about how does this compare to duval is duval the right uh, golden Belgian strong and everything else is wrong no the way that I think about it is we use uh, Duvel in this instance uh, for a Belgian Golden Strong as uh, if if uh, if the style were kind of like a um, Kind of like a uh, like playing darts I mean you have a bunch of stuff that yeah, it kind of fits the style somewhat But you know the Duvel is a bullseye of what the style represents Well this this beer from Poseidon Brewing in Ventura Um, This one was a little bit darker, a little bit uh, toasty, um, not quite as fruity estuary that the Duval is. The phenols kind of stuck out a little bit more, but otherwise it was balanced. It was beautiful. It was wonderful, but it was a little bit different. And it wasn't wrong. It was just if Duval represents the center of that bullseye, then this beer was one of the outer rings that kind of circles around it. Is that a fair way to think about it?
1: I think, I think that's a great way to put it. You've got those concentric rings. Some, some are going to fall closer to the middle. Some are going to fall closer to the outside. But generally speaking, they're all going to fall within those style guidelines to pretty much some degree. You know, and, and California Common style is, is another good example because that style is really basically, uh, wound around one beer, uh, which was anchor steam. And for years, that was about the only California common that existed. Other breweries are certainly doing it now. It's not a hugely popular beer style, but there's other people doing it. But it was basically written for one beer.
0: Yeah, and and that, and that I definitely want to talk about that one in a little bit later, too. But that one was kind of defined not only by process, but partly by ingredients, too, if I recall correctly. At least like a hop choice. It was, uh, um, you know, not to say that anything else is wrong or different, but it's kind of like... Um, uh, I think you know when someone uh, when a tribute band plays a Beatles song. Well, it's not the Beatles playing the song, but it still sounds like Hey Jude. So you know, hey, we're pretty we're pretty close. Um, but if you get that Belgian Golden Strong, that's like black and roasty. Well, no, nah, that's not a Belgian Golden Strong anymore. That's there's there. Has, no, it isn't. There has to be a line of wait a minute. You're you're starting to confuse uh the the conversation and the communication form so um, how can so people like you and me and brewers really pay attention to the styles and you have to have a pretty good understanding of the styles so that we can have these conversations but what about people who work in distributorships or work in restaurants and bars who um they don't need to have as deep of a knowledge of these styles as might be worth your while or my while, but where's the value of understanding these styles?
1: And you're right. They don't need to have that in depth uh, style knowledge. And for people in the industry like that, actually a better understanding of categories rather than individual styles might actually be more important. Is to understand basically what a hoppy beer is, or, or what a lager is, what an ale is, you know, what a stout is. Things like that, I think, are probably more valuable to those people that don't have to have the in-depth knowledge. So I would I would recommend looking at the categories rather than the styles.
0: Okay. Okay. And, and frankly, you bring up a good point. I find personal value in having a general understanding of British styles versus German styles versus Belgian styles. Versus beer from Ireland or Scotland, or you know, uh, beers native to the U.S., which is only a couple. But um, but having a having a regional uh, understanding of uh, beer as well is that is that. But even though that's not in the current BJC uh, BJCp guidelines per se, um, is that still a valuable way to kind of separate out the beers?
1: Well, I think it's a very valuable way to separate out the beers. Yeah, because because you're going to find certain characteristics are. Uh, common among different regions, different countries, things like that. Mm, you know, okay. G- Germany for the most part. Uh, to me, it's the land of lager, but they still also have some very fine ales there. Vice mm-hmm. uh, beer in Germany, absolutely beautiful. You've got that beautiful lemon and clove. I'm sorry, lemon, Sorry, banana and clove character in the vice beer that you really don't find anywhere else in the world.
0: Mm.
1: So you find some of those regional characteristics like that.
0: I uh, it I was just drinking actually I was drinking a kolsch yesterday and I, uh, um uh sounds like I was drinking a couple of beers yesterday and maybe I was maybe I wasn't I'm not going to say but um but I had a, a kolsch I shall say recently um and it was made in Washington 5440 I think it was um it was it was a really good example of of the kolsch style from cologne even though it wasn't actually from Germany but but I was just thinking about how people will take it, which which that is an ale, but uh you take these beers and you kind of have this is our target this is what we're striving for how can we how can we hit those targets using the ingredients and water and uh techniques that we have available to us here in you know the northwest? I think that is an um a great way to think about it too, as far as i want a i, I want to go travel somewhere um but without having to pay the airfare, but we can do it through our taste buds by recreating that.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and that's what I do a lot. I, I brew a lot of international styles. In fact, quite mm-hmm. honestly, I brew very few American-style beers. But, you know, most most of my love goes into German-style lagers for brewing.
0: And, and I'm so glad you do. And and um, and actually, it was your beer was the very first time I was able to taste a, a Czech dark lager. Um, and I've found very few since then Um And most of them have been uh, oxidized because they've actually come from the Czech Republic. I I did find one down in um, California, uh, a Czech dark lager that was just, as you would say, it was just gorgeous. It was perfect. Um, uh, But then again, it's just kind of like understanding these styles and what's different. So um, um, before actually, before we get into those, uh, I don't want to get too far off track. Uh, The BJCP beer styles, um, uh, how... How often are those amended and and updated?
1: In in reality, they're amended as necessary, but you can probably count on every seven to nine years in that range that they will be amended. And usually the reason is, is because beer styles come and go. And beer styles that uh, become quite popular, you'll find added to the new guidelines. You may find some that are actually dropped from the guidelines or simply renamed or recategorized.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so the last the last uh, update that came out was 2015. So we're only five years in. We'll, we'll probably have these for a little while. Um, uh, and Hazy IPA is, is not on the current BJCP list. How does how does uh, how do the styles kind of um, make amends for a new beer style like the Hazy's that have come on and they're going to be here for a while?
1: Basically, you'll find a lot of hazies now entered in competitions, and what happens is most of the judges now have had a chance to sample enough hazies. We're pretty confident in judging those pretty much stylistically, but I would almost guarantee in the next update of the BJCP style guidelines, you will find the hazy or milkshake IPAs added to it. Sure. I'd, um, I'd be very surprised if they're not. I,
0: I I would expect that. And there there's a few, like a black IPA I expect to go away, because there's very few of those anymore. Um, and a brute IPA, it came, and it seems like it kind of went. Uh, so I don't expect that to show up in the next round. But who knows what's going to happen between now and then. Um,
1: it's possible, but I, I agree with you. I see both of those beer styles as trends that are really
0: dropping off. Yeah. Um, what about, so BJCP uh, is... Kind of the dominant force behind styles, um, from what I've seen, they uh, are the most specific um, and so and most well-thought-out style guidelines that, that I have seen. But what other entities put out styles as well?
1: Uh, on the commercial end, the Brewers Association, or what we call the VA guidelines. Okay. And those are intended strictly for commercial competitions. Uh, BJCP style guidelines have been used in some commercial competitions but they really are intended for homebrewers.
0: Okay. Um yeah, and they they're intended for homebrewers but by default to uh they've become kind of like the unofficial go-to as far as understanding styles and I think part of that is with the like the BA guidelines. A lot of them are just very very broad and there's I've had a few uh, styles that I've had to um, uh, judge that the BA guidelines didn't give me enough handle on on the criteria, so I actually referred to the BJCP because they get in a little bit uh, deeper, especially on uh, like flavor profiles and what to expect.
1: Yeah, BJCP is much more specific, and I've run into the same issue with the BA style guidelines when judging. Uh, when you've got a beer that says low to high hop flavor, low to high hop aroma, low to high yeast character, it's like basically anything will fall into this range. And it's, 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 it's not very helpful is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. They're just, they're just too broad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just kind of like, you know, it did, if it doesn't tell you anything, then just don't say anything. And, and they, they kind of don't, that's where I, I do spend more time with the BJCP just to understand the style. If I don't know it all that well, um, how are the current guidelines organized basically
1: uh the current guidelines aren't trying to think of the best way to put this they're not necessarily similar beer styles but they're groupings of beer styles that help homebrewers understand where to enter their beer
0: okay and and that's really the purpose of the bjcp if we're looking like uh like um was like a amber, bitter, um uh European lager or something like that. Well then I'm gonna start looking uh expect to see something like an alt beer as opposed to a Czech lager. I mean they, they kind of it seems to be grouped kind of like by general generalities of similar beers as opposed to um as opposed to regions or countries, right?
1: Yeah, and, and basically they're also grouped together so you've got Styles that are similar enough that they can compete with each other within a category
0: okay okay so uh like european sour if um uh if there's only like one bird of entry will it end up with uh, like a flanders red if if there's only like five entries total for anything european and sour
1: Exactly. Yeah. If if there a lot of times if there's just one entry in a category, we'll do our best to shift it into another category that it will compete well in.
0: Gotcha. Um, so for for anyone out there who either wants to learn more about the the guidelines, or wants to become a judge, or wants to enter their beer into a competition, um, where can they go to kind of seek better guidance?
1: The best place to go is the BJCP website, which is bjcp.org, is the best play to go, place to go. Your style guidelines are there for beer, bead, and cider. There's a lot of information there on how to judge beer, how to taste beer, uh, how to enter your beer. That really is the best source to go to.
0: Awesome. Um, so, uh, can we get into some styles? Because there? there's. The challenge that I had, that you really helped clarify for me, um, the time that I that you and I have spent together, is how do we tell very similar beers apart? How, wh- I mean, at some of these we're getting into the nitty gritty of, of flavor and experience, um, and and for someone just working at a pub, nah, it doesn't really matter; they're, they're they're pretty similar. But for someone who's becoming a judge or trying to get uh, higher levels of uh, cicerone. You really have to tell the difference between a cream ale and a Kolsch, for example. So
1: right, some and some of those can be extremely challenging.
0: Yeah, um, and and, uh, and so can we can we talk about the differences of very like beers? I've got a, I kind of have a list of beers to go into, almost like a thunderdome match of like you know <laughs> how to tell which one is what. So uh, bring it on. Okay, so let's talk about. Um, uh, category one we've got american light lager and uh, 1a and 1b uh, light lager and american lager um how would those compare with like category two like the pale international loggers?
1: a little more challenging than you would think I mean, you would think u.s versus international styles you think there'd be a lot of difference in this case especially with the uh, uh, american lager and the light lager uh they compare actually pretty close to the international pale lager uh, generally speaking um, you're gonna find your American styles are gonna be a little bit more adjunct laden. They're gonna have a little bit more rice and corn added, generally up to 40%. So you're gonna have more of that adjunct character uh, than the international pale lager is going to have a little less adjunct character. It'll be a little bit more heavy towards the bald. And usually your international pale lagers are a little bit more bitter and a little bit more filling um, because the uh, the American styles are very, very light Almost watery light body, very highly carbonated.
0: And 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 I I do know that given the choice, I will grab a Heineken over a Coors. Um, and I think that's because the the Heinekens, the, the at least the the good ones that I've had, uh, usually out of a can, they they tend to be a little bit more balanced, have a little bit more character. Um, and uh, and you know like the American lagers, and especially the American light loggers, they um and this is one of the things i love from uh, category 1a the american light lagers um strong flavors are a fault <laughs> and, uh, i just love that so they're they're looking for sweet water is kind of what they're going for
1: yeah sometimes it's a joke we say any flavor is a fault
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and well and for that matter i mean how do you really differentiate uh um, like a Coors light versus a Coors? i mean those are very very close beers in fact there's um I think there's even the alcohol is just like, like a, I don't know if it overlaps, but it's really, really close.
1: Oh, they're extremely close. And i tell you what, even, even to experienced tasters, sometimes that can be a little bit of a challenge, but your American light lagers really, for the most part, especially if they're served cold, are going to be almost flavorless. It's just a lot of fizzy water. Uh, when you get into your, your, your American lager, a little bit of a step up. Your, your flavor characteristics rise slightly. Your aroma rises slightly. Alcohol can rise slightly. Um, but you yeah, have very, very subtle differences between those two.
0: But I, it, from from what I learned spending time with you is I don't know that I would pick one or the other out of a crowd unless they were side-by-side. Side. I think Exactly. I think having that juxtaposition, having those side-by-side tasting is what helped me— learn the difference, but if they were by itself, I don't know that I could tell.
1: Yeah, if you want to learn the difference between these styles, side-by-side comparisons are an absolute must.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I still remember that one night where we got um, a Bud Light, a Coors Light, a Bud, a Coors, um, and then we went on to Category 2, and we pulled out um, a Heineken. Uh, I think we had a Corona Um, and something else I don't recall. And and we and I remember we let them sit on the table for a while, so they went from cold to actually room temperature to kind of warm, and just seeing how those changes um, occurred just within the same beer, um, but then just seeing how how they changed across the panel, how how the lights compared to their um, non-light versions, and how the Americans uh, compared to the uh, international loggers. That was a a very eye-opening experience for me.
1: Oh, very much so, and I, I won't I won't name the brewery, but uh, several years ago we did a taste test um, with an American Light Lager. One had been found about ten years ago and sitting on top of a person's fridge. So <laughs> we decided to grab a fresh can, and we chilled them both down, drank them side by side. When they were cold, there was absolutely no difference.
0: And so one one can sat out in uh, warm room temperature for ten years, mm-hmm. and there was no difference.
1: Until they warmed up.
0: Until they warmed up.
1: And then the one that was 10 years old, I, I, I don't know, have you ever smelled cheap motel soap? <laughs>
0: yeah, yes.
1: That's exactly what it smelled and tasted like after oh, it warmed
0: up. Oh, my goodness. Um, which is why you never look for a girlfriend in a dark room, right? <laughs> or a cheap motel. <laughs> or a cheap motel, yes. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, okay, let's mo- let's move on from there. Um so let's stay with lagers though. So now we've got um lagers, we've got uh, pilsners, cream ales, kolsch, blonde ales. Um by my training courtesy of you, uh there's there's kind of a bit of a continuum on some of these beers, but I mean, how do you differentiate between um you know, lagers, pilsners and cream ales, kolsches and blondes? I mean, what's the difference?
1: Well, basically what it comes down to is the difference between lagers and ales. Your your Pilsner, Pilsner technically is a lager. Lagers are bottom fermented beers that generally speaking, although there are exceptions, are going to have very clean fermentation character, which means there's going to be no esters, no phenols, nothing that's going to compete with the malt and hop character. Then when you start getting into the cream ales, your blondes, your colchas, which traditionally until the new guidelines came out were, were thought of as hybrid beers. Those are ales. You're going to find some ester character to some degree, generally speaking, in all three of those styles. So that's kind of the difference between those is clean fermentation versus esters developing uh, at your little bit higher temperatures.
0: And the way that I think about it, especially when reviewing the the BJCP guidelines, is you have lagers and pilsners that have a very clean uh, fermentation profile, meaning no esters. Um, It's just the flavor of the uh, malt and the hops. And then you get into uh, like colchas and cream ales that are the hybrids that you're talking about, but they are ale uh, yeasts that are uh, fermented cold, so they, so they are still relatively clean, but they're just a step up in character. Um, and then you, and then you get into the blonde ales, which is yet another step in character and esters and 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 flavor. Is is that is that a good way to think about it?
1: I would say that's pretty accurate because what you're looking at is just little steps up in complexity, okay. and it's the yeast character that's offering the complexity.
0: Okay. Um, now, now I, I, I want to drill down into the weeds a little bit on cream ales, uh, the American version of the Kolsch, and the Kolsch, the German version of the cream ale. How do you tell those two apart?
1: <laughs> those actually could be a little bit difficult. Uh, what you're going to find, generally speaking, with a Kolsch, in fact, I was in Cologne back in... November, if I remember right, November last year, and had an opportunity to go to Fru and drank more Kolsch's than I probably should there. (laughs) But what I found with the Kolsch, they're very, very highly attenuated beers, very crisp, very dry, uh, where you'll find the cream ale and the blonde ale not quite as highly attenuated. They're not quite as crisp. They can be, but generally speaking, not. Uh, you're going to find a little bit more ester character also in the cream ale and blonde ale than you will in the Kolsch. Kolsch is pretty much a very hop-forward beer.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and one of the things I remember you, and maybe it does not apply to the Kolsch versus the cream ale, but um, one of the things you taught me in in, in similar beers between Germany and um, in American versions is um, German beers, generally speaking at least, have a a little bit more depth of richness and malt flavor and the um, analogy that occurred to me at that time when i when i was learning this from you was that if uh, it's very subtle but it's almost as if a if you were uh, running your hands along just a very fine smooth silk versus a smooth nylon and and it just kind of using that as an analogy of just that rich, smooth malt character out of a German beers would be the silk, and the slightly grainier versions of American beers would be more like the nylon. Um, is that is that true, or am I completely way off on this?
1: No, I think that's actually a, a quite a good analogy. And, and and as far as the silk goes, I would probably include the Czech Czech uh, lagers in that also.
0: Yeah, and 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 just from a process standpoint, how were they ab- obtaining this? level of richness and texture and flavor?
1: Most of your German and Czech beers, well, maybe I shouldn't say most, uh, because I'm not sure how a lot of the breweries operate over there anymore, but they use what they call a decoction mash method, which means they remove a portion of the mash, they heat it up, sometimes they'll do a sacrification rest, sometimes not, and they'll boil it for a specific period of time. And then they'll add it back to the main mash, and they'll do that two or three times. And that process is how you pull that rich malt character out of that.
0: Gotcha. So th- that would be kind of the same idea for us Americans who haven't tried that. It would be nice. Uh, you can throw a bunch of uh, meat and vegetables and broth in the pot and then serve it for dinner, or you can let it simmer all day long and create a stew out of it.
1: Exactly. And, and uh, all of my German and Czech beers, I do a decoction mash on here at home.
0: Yeah. Um and I I did that on uh, Munich Dunkel I brewed uh back in October and um I, I had a little too much residual sugar as a result of it, but um damn it was good.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah the, I love that decoction mash. Method. Oh, it makes for a long brew day, but it's worth every second.
0: It, it's worth every second. Um so the so that's the Lagers, Pilsners, Cream Ales, Kolsch, and Blondes. Um so actually you, you just brought up uh like a, a, a Czech beers. Um, especially those that have been, um, decocted and, uh, are very, very rich. So we have German lagers like, um, like, uh, well, box are a little bit different, but let's say like a Maybach or a Helles, um, versus a, um, a Czech or Bohemian, uh, ales versus even like a Vienna lager. I mean, how are those different? Cause a lot of those have more body, a lot more character, maybe a little bit darker, maybe a little bit more toasty. Where do we differentiate those?
1: Yeah, something like a helles Bach is going to be much more higher in, higher in alcohol uh, than your Czech beers. Uh, they're going to be much more full-bodied. Uh, they're going to be very, very malt-centered. Might have a little bit of hop character in a helles Bach, which is acceptable, but for the most part, it's going to be a malt-driven beer. Uh, Czech lagers, on the other hand, really are, even though they have a rich malt character, they're a hop-driven beer. Okay. They have a they have a beautiful saaz character to it. They mm-hmm. have uh, a little bit more of an assertive bitterness than what you'll find in most German styles. Uh, German pilsner can actually have quite an assertive hot bitterness to it. But as far as your helles and your uh, helles bach goes, uh, those are going to be more malt malt centered beers.
0: Okay. And and uh, as far as like the helles and other German styles, they could use saaz. They could use Hollertau. Um, and, and that's just where it, it, I think it takes a little bit deeper understanding of not necessarily knowing exactly what those hops taste like w- when they manifest in a beer, but just, I mean, when you taste enough beers that you know have sauce hops, you kind of get to know that flavor. Um, and just kind of being able to put them side by side uh, to get to know them better so that later on you can pick them out of a crowd when it's just when they're by themselves.
1: Right. The sauce hops will usually go spicy or floral. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zaz is not something I would probably use in, uh, like for example, a German Hellas. I think they're a little bit too aggressive. Uh, uh Allertau or Tetz would be my choice, I think, for that style.
0: Mm, okay.
1: They send they tend to center a little bit more on that floral end of thing. They don't turn spicy, generally speaking.
0: Gotcha. Well, the the next uh, matchup that I wanted to talk about, uh, and you brought it up earlier, is that California Common, like uh, uh, Anchors Steam Beer, um, that kind of defines the style. It was it was the uh, it's been given credit as the uh, first uh, craft beer that um, kind of began this back in uh, I think it was really in the '60s when when um, Fritz Maytag kind of resurrected the style. Uh and and put it out there and kind of gave birth to the craft movement It's also one of the few styles that is natively american uh, most beers that we have are American variations on a european um, Or or some other uh, Location, but the california common is very much a, an american um, um a Beer from the beginning so But the california common I picked up, uh the Alt beer and maybe even an American Amber. How would you differentiate those?
1: The American Amber and California Common definitely have some similarities. Uh, with the California Common, what you're looking at is a, a little bit different hop character. Uh, they use more of a rustic style hop. In fact, it was derily defined during the last or in the last guidelines as the Northern Brewer hop,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was kind of a woody, rusty, minty character. And they still use those terms. In the guidelines but they don't narrowly define it around that particular hop variety anymore but any citrus or new world style hop would not be appropriate in a california common uh where in an amber pretty much any american uh, hop hop variety or new world hop variety is fair game okay they both can have high hop character to them i i have found from personal experience i think california common has more hop flavor than an amber uh, what you're going to find is a little bit of difference in the malt character. California common uh, can have some caramel character, but will also have a beautiful toastiness to it. Where an amber will usually have quite a fair amount of caramel character, but no toasty character to it.
0: Okay. So it's so those
1: subtle differences that really, really divide those two styles.
0: And that just takes experience and just remembering what to look for.
1: It does, yeah. And it, it takes, you know, reading the style guidelines is wonderful. But nothing could replace sampling the beer. Sure, you when you taste it and smell it, you'll remember it.
0: Well, an American amber is a true ale, whereas a California common is one of those hybrid beers we talked about—ale uh, yeast and cool conditions—and um, so is a, right. so is a German alt beer from Düsseldorf. Um, I think I have that right. Um, how how does the alt beer from uh, Germany compare with the California common?
1: Uh, a German alt beer, generally speaking, is going to be much more uh, richer than the malt character. Uh, the overall hop flavor and aroma is going to be quite a bit lower, but it can have quite an assertive bitterness to it, to the alt beer.
0: And and will, so the alt beer will have that richness like we just talked about that uh, is a common characteristic among German styles versus the American version. Um, but it, I would imagine it would also have more of like a noble hop presence as opposed to that Northern Brewer, uh, earthy woody mint, uh, character that comes out of the commons, right?
1: It, yeah, this it should have more of the noble hop character if it actually has hop character to it. And in, uh, the alt beer also, a lot of times the yeast character is aged out of it. So it may truly come across as a lager because the esters may be aged out.
0: Oh, interesting. Um, Again, all these nuances uh it takes time um so let's go on to the next uh pairing matchup that I have um just kind of a general uh a general rule across the board american uh versions of a beer are quite different from the British versions of the same beer. It could be a pale i p a s brown stouts whatever it is. What is a general distinction uh between American and British beers?
1: I like to describe British beers this way. Uh, their beers are kind of like the Brits themselves—very restrained, as compared to the American styles.
0: Stiff upper lip, and 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 the the British are not afraid of subtlety, and the Americans don't know what subtlety is.
1: I I couldn't agree more. You're absolutely right. And you're going to find some differences in the malt character. Uh, A lot of your British uh, beers, they'll use what they call Marisotter, which is the British version of pale malt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Americans use two-row or six-row, which to me has a little bit, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but a little bit more of a harsher malt character than what you'll find in the British beers. Um, American beers will also tend to use those big citrus hops. Whereas the British beer, more of a continental-style hop, your earthy, herbal hop character to it. Um, I I won't say it doesn't slap you upside the head, because some of the British styles can a little bit. Your strong bitter and the IPA can, but it's just a whole different style of it.
0: Yeah, and I do do have, maybe it's uh, because I'm half British, but I love the the flavor that a lot of uh, English hops manifest as far as like Riverstone, a little bit of earth, and, and, and sometimes I get a little bit of uh, like a sweet uh, marmalade kind of flavor out of it too, and I just love that, as opposed to poking me in the eyeballs with uh, pine sap and, and grapefruit rind.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it's really funny because over there, alcohol content in those beers are actually quite low, and they consider anything in the 5%, 5% to 6% range to be fairly strong. So if you walk in and have one for lunch, that's about five and a half, six percent. They kinda of look at you sideways a little bit.
0: <laughs> oh, those bloody yanks. <clears throat> that's right. <laughs> um, well, kind of, let's let's kinda of keep going with well, no it'll a little bit different, but it, um uh the the next pair up would be like a barley wine. Um we, you know, the the difference between American and British, I think we covered that. It's still very I think appropriate. Um American's definitely gonna be a lot uh, have a lot more hop bitterness uh, but just a different hop flavor too um, as well as malt but um, but let's talk specifically about just a barley wine versus an old ale. Uh, these are beers that overlap quite a bit, especially in strength, uh, flavor profile but there are some subtle differences to be able to uh, spot one from the other.
1: And really the best comparison to make here is with the British barley wine because an old ale and an American barley wine for the most part are really not going to be horribly similar. Uh, the American barley wine is much more hop-centered than the uh, than the British-style barley wine. But the old ales, um, at the lower strength, there are some significant differences. I shouldn't say significant. There are some differences. But when you start to get above that 7% range, there isn't a whole lot of difference between the old ale and the, and the uh, English barley wine. But what you will find generally is the barley wine will have a much more mature character or depth of malt character to it than the old ale. Old ale will actually have a little bit more barrel character, uh, which can include lactic, uh, uh a venice character. So, and A lot of people don't know that old ale can have a little bit of bread to it.
0: So it can get a little bit funky, maybe a little bit musty, um, um, but the but even barley wines can be barrel-aged and aged for quite a long time. Can't they get those same flavors like old ales do? <laughs>
1: Um, they can if the sanitation isn't done right, or if the barrel wasn't properly prepared. Okay. But an uh, English barley wine really should not have any uh, Britannomyces to it, and probably very little, if any, lactic character to it. Okay. They're, there's just going to be a very deeply rich, multi beer.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, so old ales—they're—they're kind of old and crusty and and musty and funky and wonderful. I I love old ales. Oh, old ales are wonderful. I love it. I love it. just a little bit of funk. Um, uh, so next grouping. Um, uh, let's talk about the difference between a Flanders uh, Red and a Flanders Brown or an Old Brun.
1: Uh Two of my favorite beer styles. Mm-hmm. I love, in fact, Flanders Red probably on any given day I think might be my favorite style of beer. Uh, what you're going to find with a Flanders Red, of, well, the major difference between the two is going to be color. And that's pretty much brought out by the names. Flanders Red is going to be more of a red color. Uh, the brown, or what they call an old brune, is going to be more of a brown color to it. Uh, Flanders Red, what you're going to find is you're going to find more of a yeast ester profile. And a little it can be more acetic uh, than an old brune. Where you're going to find the ester character in an old brune is more malt-driven rather than yeast-driven.
0: Uh, and... Uh, and I I do know that that uh, the browns are more malty, uh, but I have had some reds that have been more sour and browns that have been more like vinegary, almost like a balsamic vinegary. Is is that, is that accurate or is that just the circumstance of the beer that I had?
1: I think it's a circumstance. I think if you find that it starts to reach that big balsamic character, that's, that's a fault. Uh, really, an old brune shouldn't have a lot of if any noticeable acetic character to it, where a Flanders red can have a small amount, okay. but when that acetic or vinegar character starts to take over, you have a fault in that beer.
0: Sure, and and these were a little bit more subtle. These these were um, this did not turn to vinegar yet, but there were some flavors reminiscent of of a, of a good balsamic vinegar. But um, um, but uh, for me, the Flanders red, Flanders brown tend to, I think I can pull those um, out by themselves without having to put them side by side, especially just by looking at them. You can get a pretty good idea of what to expect.
1: And and I think uh, by looking at them, yes, and I think if you actually closed your eyes and tried them, you could probably tell them apart just based on depth of malt character with the uh, old brune.
0: Yeah, especially with the old brune, I I tend to get a lot more, with a lot of the samples that I've had, I, I tend to get a lot more uh, just complex dark dried fruits. And, the, and to me, that's a big tip off if I haven't guessed it by the color.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. When you get that dark dried fruit, you're looking in the node brew. And those are
0: malt derived esters. Gotcha. Um, so, another beer style that is really, really hard to pick apart um, the Beer de Garde from France and a Belgian Saison. Um, oh, course, yeah. And of course, they share borders. Um, there's subtle differences. I've, I've read uh, um, the farmhouse ales, and, and I mean, these are. These are just subtle differences that are more based on um, regional uh, cultural differences. But uh, how, how would you describe these two?
1: Basically, a beard guard is going to be more toward rich malt character than a saison. Saison you're going to find is going to be more estery and uh, uh, phenol driven. Your your spicy Belgian yeast character is going to come out far more in a saison. Um, the thing I really like about the beard guard is if they're done properly. Uh, one of my favorites was Gen La, hmm. and that thing smelled and tasted like it had been sitting in a cellar for 50 years. It just had a beautiful musty cellar character to it that you really shouldn't find in a saison. But you're going to find, for the most part, your saisons will exhibit more Belgian yeast character than the Bearded will.
0: And to me, I have not tasted a lot of Bearded Guards, um, and I am I am aware that they are tend to be more malty in comparison. But isn't that like looking at a pair of twins and saying, well, you can tell the difference be- because one has slightly longer hair?
1: Uh, a little bit. Uh, in a Saison, you're going to have some some pleasant malt character come out of a Saison, but it's going to be a little bit more deeper and richer in a, in a bearded guard.
0: Okay. And and I think you said in, in a Saison, uh, it will tend to have more yeast phenolic character than a bearded guard? It will, yes. In, in, in relation to the rest of the flavors? Right um and is is that well i guess farmhouse beer is just too broad of a topic i mean that could that could be anything so we we may as well skip that um um i've got a i've got another podcast where we will dive into farmhouse beer specifically anyway but um so uh let's talk about um you want to one of my faves and you brought it up already uh we kind of talked about it, it was the belgian golden strong the uh, Duval mortgat is the is the bullseye of the style um Uh, but that is kind of close to a Belgian triple. Um, And and you really helped me understand the difference between these two styles. Uh, I think when you said that the Golden Strong was more uh, ester-driven, the Belgian triple is more yeast-driven, but what does that mean? And to put it this
1: way, is kind of similar is being kind. They're extremely similar. Uh, What you're going to find with a Belgian Golden Strong is it might be a little bit paler in color, a little bit lighter body, more crisp and dry. And we you just talked about yeast character. What you'll find with the Golden Strong is it favors a yeast that usually will push out more ester character, where a triple fails, favors a yeast that's going to push out more spicy phenol character. And that's really the biggest difference between the two is the yeast character on them. And they can be a little bit difficult to pull out because the triple is going to have some ester character. The Belgian golden strong is going to have some phenol character. But the balance should tip for both of those.
0: And it seems to me that there's so much overlap um, that if you taste it and you're thinking, ooh, this is fruity with some spice, that's probably a Belgian golden strong, as opposed to the triple being, Oh, this is spicy with some fruit, that might be the triple.
1: Right. That's where your mind is gonna go when you when you get the balance of those like that.
0: Gotcha but just knowing that i mean there is some crossover um they they're both kind of uh dipping their feet into the other's territory there but uh just kind of if you taste it if if you cannot decide good luck but if if you have a clear conclusion that one is more fruity one is more spicy then that that should be a tip off
1: that should be right
0: yeah. um at least the last one on my list before i before i offered up to you i want to see what uh what what other advice you have for us, but um, this one uh, kind of brings uh, an old historic style. Um, I've managed to get my hands on several different examples of a Grozitzkia uh, from Poland. It is um, a smoke, uh, an oak-smoked uh, beer uh, lager that is absolutely fantastic um, versus a Rausch beer. Uh, what are the differences really between these two beers?
1: Basically, your groziskia is going to be more of a. am um, trying to think of the best way to put this—more uh, of a one-dimensional smoke character because it uses oak-smoked oak, oak smoked wheat malt,
0: okay.
1: whereas the Rauch beer is going to use beechwood-smoked Vienna malt. And what, what it'll push out in that beer is it'll almost be ham-like uh, bacon. You'll get some beautiful meaty character out of that. Whereas the Gujiskia should not have any of those characteristics to it. You should just get some beautiful oak smoked out of that. And the Rauch beer is, for the most part, a smoked Merzen. Okay. Where the other is more of just a wheat beer.
0: And I think the best example of a Grodzitskia that I've had was a, a brewery uh, near the Austin Airport in Texas, uh, Live Oak. And it was beautiful. And I, I remember thinking at the time, this would go great with barbecue. Whereas all the, and pardon my uh, mispronunciation, the Rauch beers, uh, to me, the ones that I've had, I'm thinking, I'm drinking a barbecue.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's how I feel sometimes. When I was in Bomberg back in November... Um, I had the chance to sample some Schlenkerla,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. along with
1: a along with a Bamberg onion, which is highly recommended. <laughs> but it was literally like drinking a glassful of freshly smoked ham. It was absolutely beautiful. I could have sat there all day.
0: That and I've heard you uh, talk about that uh, beer and that experience a number of times. And I'm not a huge fan of onions, but the second I step foot in Bamberg, that's I, I'm going to go try that.
1: So oh, it's an even if you hate onions, it's an absolute must.
0: Um, are there any other beer styles that that uh, I didn't have on my list that you think would be worth uh, noting? Like uh, kind of had, deciphering between the two.
1: Oh man, we could talk all day about that. There, <laughs> there are several different beer styles out there that are quite similar. Um, you know, um, Meritzen and Fest beer are, mm-hmm. are extremely close together. Yep. Uh, your your english pale ales um are almost like the american lagers where it's just keep stepping up in those styles so yeah there, there are tons of them we could talk about
0: well let's just dive into a couple before we uh finish this off but uh the uh Mersin versus the fest beer my understanding is that it tends to be a little bit darker a little bit more toasty but again we're 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 splitting hairs what how would you describe the two <laughs>
1: basically what i would describe them as is uh the the fest beer has a little bit less malt richness a little less intensity um maybe a little less toasty character than a meritson um really are the main differences between the two they're both very malt centered beers and very enjoyable so that's that's probably what you're looking for is just a little bit less malt intensity a little less richness
0: hmm uh and here's another one i'll kind of throw out there um Uh, Well, maybe a couple of them. Um, What are the general, what's a good way to think about the differences between a brown, a porter, and a stout?
1: Oh, wow. I guess it depends on which style of stout you're talking about um, and which style of porter we're talking about. If we're talking about like a London porter, an American porter, um, basically your brown ale, uh, for the most part, is going to lack the uh, the black malt character that the other two have. they can be a little bit of roastiness to it, but very, very little. It's going to be mostly just caramely, uh rich malt in a brown ale. And then you work your way up to a porter, which in a lot of cases has a lot more, or not a lot more, but can have more roast character than a stout can. When you start working up into the stout, you start working into more of your rich, dark malt characters and your dark specialty malt, where you start getting the uh, caramel crystal malts added in there. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, those are those are actually three fairly close styles.
0: Well, and I think it, it, it you know, it, it's not dire that you know all the subtle differences of these things, but you know, take you know there's a difference between an Irish stout and a tropical stout and a foreign export stout. Um and those manifest in very different ways, especially tropical and uh and an Irish. Those are almost uh, opposite of each other uh, even though they're both stouts. But even within the Irish stout family, I mean there's a big difference between Murphy's and Guinness and that that from my understanding hearing stories that there's there's quite a controversy. You're either a a, a Murphy's person or a Guinness person.
1: Oh yeah, it's kind of like Levi's versus Wranglers over here.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're all blue jeans, and you know, if you've never worn jeans, you can't tell the difference. But if you've worn jeans, you know the difference.
1: You know the difference.
0: You know the difference. <laughs> um, do, do you have any? Well, um, do you have any other styles you want to talk about before we sign off, or before we kind of finish off our questions?
1: Boy, n- nothing else I can think of that we haven't covered. We've uh, covered quite a few of them.
0: Uh, you know, most of the styles are are you know they're going to be they're they're going to have a lot of similarities, especially going from a a blonde American blonde to American amber, American brown, American red. Um, you know, they're going to be very similar, but just kind of moving up in intensity or malt or ingredients or it, there a lot of them will be fairly intuitive once you look at those guidelines. But I really want to just dive into the ones where, man, I I don't I still I've read the style guidelines from head to toe and i still am not clear on on how these differentiate out so hopefully we uh cleared a lot of that up um but to finish this off uh you know randy i've asked you these questions before uh, it'd be interesting to see if you have different answers this time around um but uh, uh you know you get to be the beer king of the world for uh, a day what are you going to do to change it
1: Oh, wow. I, th- I think education is a big thing, is getting education to people out there on beer. What is beer all about? Because I have some friends that actually hate the stuff, and they really don't know what beer is because they've really never tried it. So I, in my opinion, yeah, I think education is king. That's how I would change things is better education in the uh, in the beer world.
0: Oh, that, that I totally agree with that. Um, uh, and if you get to choose your last meal and your last beer before you depart this earth, what would you choose this time around?
1: Oh, boy. Last beer, I would probably have to go with West Vletran 12 or maybe and uh, Cantillon Mamouche Hmm. would be my two top choices. Two very, very different beer styles, but two of my absolute favorites. I th- Cantillon Mamouche is an elderflower lambic, and if you've never had it, it will bring tears to your eyes.
0: Oh wow, I've never had it. Um, and I think last time around you you mentioned West Letchen Twelve, so uh, at least you're being consistent. <laughs> what would what would you eat with that? Ah.
1: Generally, I would have some. I would have seafood. I'm not sure which I would pick, but it would definitely be seafood. Mm because pretty much anything from the ocean is my absolute favorite, having grown up on the coast. Uh,
0: so, and then just a little sub-question is, uh, you get to have this last beer, the, this last meal, where would you want to have it?
1: Anywhere in Belgium.
0: <laughs> I thought you might say that. Um, you have a lot of experience with beer and educating other people, and and you have tr- have literally, we didn't really talk about this very much, but you have traveled the world a few times over, uh, and and specifically going on, on beer travel and tasting the food along with these beers. Um, so given all that, in, in your opinion, Randy, why does good beer matter?
1: I think good beer matters because it brings people together. And I'll give you an example, And and this really especially applies in Germany. You walk into a beer hall in Germany, you've got these great big long tables. You don't have little individual tables sitting everywhere. And you sit down, you may have somebody else come in and sit with you. That happened several times to us, is we would have locals come in, and we would sit and talk for maybe an hour or two. I had no idea who these people were, but, but once we had beer in common, we pretty much had everything in common, and we just sat and talked.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, uh, it really is. And that's why I highly recommend travel. Get out.
0: Uh, Yeah. And of course, we are recording this during the global pandemic where no one can even get out of their house, per se. But there will come a time when life moves on and we go back to a a new version of what normal is. But that will definitely include traveling and uh, maybe some more mindful precautions. But nonetheless, don't forget, there's a huge world out there. I think this... Uh, This uh, interesting situation we're all finding ourselves in uh, kind of speaks to we are much uh, uh, directly connected than we realized. Um, And so when this is when this crazy pandemic is all over, let's get back out there and realize how we're being how we're connected in a more positive way.
1: Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, I just got back from a two month trip in Europe late last year and visited 10 countries and had the pleasure of trying beer in all of them and it was a real joy.
0: And you have the pictures to prove it.
1: I have the pictures to prove it. (laughs) Um,
0: uh, How can people connect? I know you don't really have a a website or much online presence, but as far as just learning more about styles, um, how can people connect and learn more and even um, go through the styles on their own if if they're forced to?
1: Uh, One thing I would recommend first is the BJCP style guidelines. And the reason I recommend them is on several levels. One, they're very, very specific about what to look for in beer styles. And they provide a list of all the best commercial examples for each beer style listed. The only problem is sometimes you can't find them for especially some of these obscure beer styles. But what I would do is, one, pick up the style guidelines, find it online at BJCP.org. Find beers within those commercial examples to buy and sample while you're reading the style guidelines and find other people in the community that have an interest and or extensive knowledge in these beer styles that you can work with.
0: And and a good place to find those people who are interested would be a homebrew club, um, or even just make an event out of it and have people over to your house. I mean, I, I've been able to sit down with people like you and discuss beer, um, but you're not always in my house. So there are times when I will sit my wife down who indulges me, um, Uh, but I'll, you know, like I pulled out that Belgian golden strong just the other day and, and we talked about it and, uh, and talked about how it's different from the Duval that we had in in Spain a few years ago. And, um, it's just kind of having, having the ability to talk through that. And I cannot reiterate enough. Don't just pick one beer and just taste that beer grab two of a similar style, different beers, but um, similar style or different brands, but similar style, and then look at the guidelines and just compare them uh, off of each other. That is profound.
1: Oh, it's, it's hugely valuable. It's like I've always said, reading the style guidelines is great. You can't, can't, can't replace drinking beer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, any final words of wisdom, Randy?
1: Uh, probably the best thing I could tell people is get out there and educate yourselves on beer styles. Learn as much as you possibly can, sample as much as you possibly can, and understand the differences.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming back onto this podcast and sharing your absolute wealth of knowledge.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me again.
0: My, my pleasure. <laughs> Take care. You too. Beer styles exist to help us communicate about beer with specificity, they also provide us clear targets to shoot for when brewing. While a basic understanding of the styles is mandatory in the beer industry, a more advanced appreciation will give us authority and help us do our jobs more effectively. Join us in the next episode where we talk to an advanced Cicerone and beer educator, except this time we discuss beers close cousin from the East. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.